This is Define the Narrative Podcast with your host, Anne Argo. On today's podcast, it is my extreme pleasure to bring Sarah Kowalski. She is a single mom by choice, a fertility doula, a life coach, and an author. She coaches women who are struggling to conceive a child when it's not taking shape as planned, either because of the lack of a partner or because of fertility issues. So welcome to Define the Narrative, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Let's get started. You have a book. You're a published author. Can you tell us a little bit about your book? Sure. Yeah. So my book and my business are called Motherhood Reimagined. And I really started writing it as like a way to process my own grief and my own process as I grappled with, did I want to be a mother if it meant having to do it alone? And then sort of later on grappling with, did I want to be a mother if it meant using donor eggs? Because that was what came to light fairly quickly. So I was in a writing group and one of the members had been a acquisitions editor for 40 years. And he was, I was just writing for like my own, like almost like journaling. And he's like, this is a book. And I realized throughout doing it, that it was really a universal story. This idea of having to reimagine motherhood that so many of us are not finding the partner, the baby, you know, in the order that it seems to be laid out of what you're supposed to do. And so I felt like even though it was my story, it's a very universal story. So I really wrote it to try and help other women be able to process all of the things I went through. And so it's like a guide to kind of how to come to terms with all of these questions that you have to come to terms with in order to pursue motherhood alone. And the title motherhood reimagined, you mentioned it and, and I kind of agree. Do you, do you feel like the reason we're having to reimagine or as I'm hoping to push to define the narrative is because of a patriarchal narrative or the way motherhood was given to us? I, I even, I even struggle to want to use the word traditional, but yeah. kind of the way before, do you find that yeah. that's kind of what we're doing? What are your thoughts about that? Yeah. I mean, I think we're fed this fairy tale from so early on. And I think Disney has changed the narrative a tiny bit, but you know, for centuries, we've been told there's one way of doing things and there's one family structure. And I think um, we're realizing, I, I guess, because of modern technology in part, that there are other ways and that there's other ways of thinking about what makes a family. Um, so I think it's, it's a really exciting time to be able to really write the rules and define anything that feels right to you. And it's also great to have resources like you, because in so doing, I don't think we go into this lightly. I know that I didn't, and there's a lot Mm -hmm. of thinking about it and thinking Mm -hmm. through it. I think we agree that our hope is, is that we can make it easier for people to not feel like they're the first ones to have those thoughts or to have to yeah. think through. Yeah, totally. Yes. I really did. I thought it felt so foreign to me. I had like one other friend that knew someone who had done it. And I was like, oh my gosh, that is so bizarre. And then it wasn't until after I was pregnant that I realized that there was like groups and stuff out there. And I think really honestly, had I met other women and talked to other women, and if there had been resources that I had figured out, it, I would have shortcut my process by like at least a year. So I think it's it's really important to connect with people. No, I agree. I think I spent two years in doing research. Mm-hmm. From, I mean, I'm from Birmingham, Alabama. So 
Not only did I not know anybody, <laughs> but I, I was bucking the system one way or the other. Yeah, but, you know, thank goodness for the internet. And it's funny, I don't even remember what the internet was like 10 years ago, but somehow I found stuff and I researched it. And uh-huh. and so I'm glad. I, and I'm really glad that you're this resource for women and, and that you can be a coach for them. So when you work with women, what do you find mm-hmm. to be the number one obstacle when it comes to fertility? Well, I mean, I think for one that we just haven't been taught really how finite fertility is. I feel like we've been also fed a narrative that it's easy to get pregnant in your forties. And so women oftentimes are not coming to this question until they're in their forties. And then fertility issues at that point are real. Like they're not, it's no joke. I mean, I was 39 when I realized I was completely infertile. So I think that's one piece of the puzzle. And then it's just so incredibly expensive. I think it's getting a little better now. More and more of my clients actually do have insurance, which I find like fertility coverage insurance. And there's more and more ways, I think, to make it affordable, but it's, it's not cheap. So it's, you know, it's not, it's not available to everyone. And then I would say just like emotionally the process I think you're in this like constant cycle of hope and despair as you're trying and you really cannot, I I think it's one of the most brutal kind of cycles to be going through that hope and despair over and over again. And then the other thing we talk about a lot in my groups is waiting. It's like you're, it's this uncertainty. You've put your life on hold. You've decided you want this thing. And then you have to wait two months for your cycle to do blah, 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 or for them to do this test or because the fertility clinic's busy or because it's like the amount of time that you're like, okay, I'm like, I took so long and so thoughtful making this choice. And then now it's taking forever to get it done. And I think being in that like holding pattern for so long is, is really difficult for women. Did you find after you went through that process that when you looked back, was the time, did it seem looking back as long and arduous as it was when you were in it? Because for me, mm-hmm. it felt like a lifetime. And mm-hmm. then when I got there and I looked back, I realized comparatively, it wasn't that long, but I mean, in it, like I should have bought, yeah. I should have bought stock in, in, in pregnancy tests. I could, I couldn't right. wait 10 days. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say like even more so the arduousness, like it was one of the hardest times of my life, if not the hardest period of my life. And now I like, I don't really remember the details. Like it's, it's really has. And I, I think oftentimes women talk to me about like, I can't keep going. I'm going to be traumatized for life. And I'm like, no, you're really not. Like, as soon as you get that baby, all of this is erased. Like I promise, like you're not going to be um, dealing with this forever. It's you are going to be able to get through this and get over it. Right. And, and the, and the point is, is wanting to be a mother and, and how you see that coming to light. And sometimes we yeah. have to be open for different options mm-hmm. and really get strong with ourselves about what is being a mother mean mm-hmm. for us? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's the most surprising outcome with a client that you've had? Well, I would say, you know, like just women who, well, one, I think women who tell me they've been like thinking about it and like tearing their hair out for like two years. And then they have like one or two sessions, sometimes just one. And they're like, oh my God, I'm going to do it. So that feels really amazing. Um, but also I think that one of the things is like explaining to women that it feels like that it could be an empowered choice. I think most women come to me and they're like, oh my God, this is second best. How could I do this? Like I have 
Like, I'll just always feel like a loser. And I'm like, no, you could feel empowered about doing this. And like, I remember one woman just being like, what? I could feel empowered about this. Um, And it was just so, yeah, it was just really shocking, I think, to like be able to see that, like me being able to say, yeah, I feel really awesome about this choice now. And it doesn't feel like second best anymore. Um, was so incredibly eye-opening to her and actually quite a few people in that group that I was working with at the time. Um, so to me, I feel like that's the most surprising. And it really did set me kind of on this mission that I often say is to, which is to make single motherhood by choice be a legitimate first choice so that you're not just looking at it like when you're backed against a wall and you feel like you have another choice, but that you're looking at it from the outset of like, okay, I'm in my twenties. I could decide to have a baby in partnership. I could decide to have a baby alone and pursue partnership later. I could just decide to be single and have my kids and see what happens. And that's really where I hope we get to in the coming years. Right. The order that we do things in and the choices that we make with that, I I completely agree. I think there was a time when we all tried the way we thought we were supposed to. For me, it was like, I tried, I tried, you know, Mm -hmm. I tried it this way. I waited for five years, you know, and it's like, I did the best I could. And now Mm -hmm. there's a time issue. And I really like that idea because of it being a first choice, because I might have done things completely different, but you know, it is what it is. I think, I think there are a lot of women and, and um, I'm sure you agree as we become more self-sufficient, we are able Mm -hmm. to make choices about how we want to go about it. And there's so many mixed families and, and divorced people and, and all of that. There's an option for everybody. Yeah. For sure. You mentioned the financial concern. Mm -hmm. What suggestions might you offer a woman who really doesn't have the financial means to pursue much beyond a a few IUIs? Yeah, well, I think one thing that is still oftentimes in reach is going abroad, which is what I did for egg donation because it was like a fraction of the cost. So you can often do IVF for like $5,000 in some of these other countries, sometimes even less. Uh, Obviously that's still a lot of money for a lot of people. Um, I would say an embryo donation is another avenue because there's all of these embryos that basically have been created that people don't know what to do with. And more and more so there's programs for having those donated. And usually there, there is no, there oftentimes is no money exchanged. So it's just sort of the cost of a transfer. And then if you do that abroad, that's even, even cheaper. And then I would say pursuing, looking at like fostering to adopt, I think is probably one of the cheapest ways and one of the more accessible ways to do this. Um, it, you know, I think it's not without its challenges, but it is, it is an option. Right. Definitely. And there's some women who, who choose that. Um, we have a podcast that's coming up of someone who, um, I encouraged her in this pathway and Mm -hmm. she, she did not want it square on. And Mm -hmm. then she found herself fostering a seven and eight year old. And she's now the mom of two. And it was, it was the perfect, it was the perfect pathway to being a single mother by choice for her. So everyone defines their narrative that way. Yeah, for sure. And I think, yeah, I think you have to like explore everything and really see, I think kind of get past that initial, like, no, I don't, I don't want that. And then kind of push yourself or have someone, a guide to help you kind of push yourself beyond that 
to keep exploring and kind of trying it on and answering. Like, I think we often have assumptions that we need to play around with and make sure like, is that assumption really real so that we can get past those blocks and open up ideas that we never even thought possible. Right, right. You know, I've, I've been hearing a lot, the freezing of women's eggs has really come a long way in the last 10 years. Yeah. You know, when I interviewed a, a reproductive endocrinologist, he's like, oh, absolutely. I mean, he mm -hmm. said it almost as if it should be part of what every woman considers. Right. And I know for me, I, I'm the person who I, I squirrel money and then I spend mm -hmm. it and then I squirrel money. Mm -hmm. Do you think that this is something that women in their late 20s need all women need to do if they're not in a committed relationship? Yeah. I mean, I feel like when I first heard about it, I was living in the Bay area, all the big tech companies were paying for their employees to freeze their eggs. And I just was like, Oh, yuck. Like that just feels all wrong to me and sort of like trying to get women to put off motherhood so that they could get more productive employees was sort of how I thought about it. But now, and also when I was going through the process, it was still deemed experimental. Um, and now it is not, but yeah, I think it's, I would say, yes, freeze your eggs, freeze your eggs, freeze your eggs. If you can, um, I, the thing that I think is, can be devastating about it is that you really don't know what the quality of those eggs is going to be unless you freeze embryos and egg freezing is very delicate process. And I cannot tell you the number of women that I work with that froze their eggs. They assume that they're golden, that they're going to be able to have their own genetic baby. And then they thaw the eggs and zero are viable or none survived the thaw, or I, I can't even tell you it's. And then I feel like it's, it's almost like an extra tragedy because they assumed they had done, they did all the right things. But I would still say, even given that, I would still say yes, but do it. Yes, do it in your late 20s. And I would say even do it in your late 20s, even if you're in partnership, because you don't know what's going to happen to that relationship. And then suddenly you're 35 and that's by 35. I mean, a lot of doctors, they don't freeze after 35. I think more and more doctors will, but I think the stats after 35 are pretty not great. Yeah. I think the age range was like 28 to 35, the time to mm -hmm. freeze it. Um, mm -hmm. And it was interesting. He also mentioned about women who are not in partnership in their 30s, that the statistical likelihood that they found mm. somebody was not in their favor, which is yeah. another reason to mm. want to freeze your eggs. Interesting. I know. I'm like, wow, mm. like that was I in it? What? You know, it, it, yeah. it, things are changing. Like, like I said, yeah. I've been in this for 10 years. My son's about to be 10. And it's just amazing how quickly things are changing. Yeah. What's a fertility doula? <laughs> well, a, the definition of a doula is someone who provides like continuous care and support. And so it's not something that's licensed or I think there's more people that are providing like actual certificates for it. But I would say it's someone who guides you through the whole process, helps you with both the emotional ups and downs, as well as like the logistics and understanding sort of being like a patient's rights advocate. I was, I'm a former attorney actually. And one of my law school like internships was as a patient's rights advocate. So it's really just like shepherding you through the process so that you're not doing it alone, because I think it can be really intense. You, it's like so much information coming at you. 
to process and know what questions to ask and and then just even to weather that those cycles of hope and despair. Right. And I know again, you know, money is always an issue because I think it's really important for women not to feel excluded from this mm -hmm. option. Yeah. So knowing that everybody's finances are different, how can people benefit from your knowledge? Your book, of course, is one way. Mm -hmm. Um, what what are the different avenues that you offer that women can access? support different sure. levels. Sure. Yeah. So I, I have a book and I do have a podcast. I only did ended up doing one season, hoping to revive that soon, but really my newest project, which is really the one that's most exciting to me that I've been thinking about forever and not doing is my community. So in that community, you get, it's only $9 a month right now, or $90 for the whole year or 97 for the whole year. You get calls with me for, you know, to meet and greet other members monthly calls to ask me sort of my expertise guidance, as well as connection with all the other members. And I do a bunch of interviews with guests. So you get just tons of information. So that's a really low level way of, and you get all my courses. So you get a ton of support inside the membership. And then if you were looking for more support, I do a bunch of groups where we meet weekly and you get that entire membership. Plus you get the group. And a lot of those women end up in my groups for like a year, year and a half as they're trying to get pregnant. And then, you know, they just get very attached to the other women. So I run groups that are thinkers, triers, pregnant, hoping to add mothering soon. And then some specialized kind of workshops on egg donation, because that's another I think a lot of women in, who are in this don't think about it early on. And it is like, it is the last resort. And oftentimes egg donation is something that they have to think about. And times are changing and it's really nice to have thought partners in that. And really nice to see mm -hmm. that people like you exist now, because I, yeah. I don't know if that was even out there when I was yeah. taking my journey. So, so thank you for yeah. your call to action. I hope that this is the first of many conversations that we yes. get to have. Yeah. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for joining us on Define the Narrative podcast. 